You are listening to The Scope, Phelps Health Podcast, Episode 15. Today, we're going to be discussing going back to school and what that looks like for teachers. Let's get started. Hi, everybody. I'm your host, Paige Heitman. The Scope Podcast is produced on a regular basis and can be found by visiting phelpshealth.org. Come back often and feel free to add the podcast to your SoundCloud stream or subscribe to our YouTube channel. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. All links are going to be in the show notes today. Now let's get into our show. Today our guest is Dr. Forrest Rackham, who's one of my personal favorites, and he's also a clinical psychologist with Phelps Health Medical Group. Welcome back to our show today. Thank you very much for having me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I know we're really excited to have you back here. Last time you were here, we were upstairs and yes. we were in front of the fireplace. Yeah, so it was it's a nice little bit different of a scene, huh? <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> but I like it here too. Good. That's awesome. Well, we're really glad to have you here in our new and improved uh, podcast scene. Yeah. So today we're going to be talking about something that's kind of on the forefront of a lot of, of, a lot of people's minds: going back to school. Mm-hmm. So at the end of last year, whenever COVID hit, everybody was kind of up in arms a little bit, but it was easier to deal with because we were at the end of the school year, so everybody had summer on their mind. There was an end. Yeah, it may have been a little bit easier to navigate, but going into the school year is gonna look really, really different for a lot of people, especially educators and teachers and those types of professionals. Mm -hmm. So today I wanna spend a little bit of time addressing what that's gonna look like and what the new school year is gonna look like specifically. Yeah. So if you're ready, we're gonna go ahead and get started about what that support's gonna look like. Sure thing. Perfect. So my first question is that many schools have students staying in classrooms or maybe they're working online because they have two options now. Mm -hmm. The um, Department of Education has allowed them to either work from home remotely or to have students come in or to do both. So what kind of complications do you foresee that being both for the teachers and the students in the classroom? Uh, for the teachers, I can imagine it's, uh, there's going to be a splitting of attention. Mm-hmm. Um, how do I address the needs of the students at home? Um, if I am doing like a, just a regular mm-hmm. streaming in so that uh, I'm addressing the students in the classroom at the same time that I'm addressing the students on the screen, mm-hmm. uh, then it does pose that splitting of attention. And then if kids are sitting there in the classroom at the same time that mm-hmm. someone else is doing that, um, if they're on the screen, some kid on the screen might do something that's um, inappropriate, inappropriate or, or just goofy and mm-hmm. so the attention will go to the kid rather than toward the teacher or toward the material yeah how so, do they maintain an active state you know that is a tough question uh one of the the things that a lot of people are talking about is engagement um, engagement with students and mm-hmm. having it be more engaging for those students so i don't know if it's necessarily possible to do a full stream on while you're also teaching the class mm-hmm. so that way you can be engaging because it, that would be that pose a, a difficulty right there. I can imagine one way if you're good to do it that way is to kind of split the day, mm-hmm. so that then more of your attention could be on the students that are in the classroom, and then when you are having to do some engagement activities that are more in line with something that can grab kids' attentions that are outside the classroom, then you can be more fully focused on those students. Do you so, think some of those educators as professionals are going to have to work longer hours to accommodate for those new needs? Yeah. yeah, that's right. going to be really hard. Yeah, especially um, uh, I, I teach online, mm-hmm. um, and as teaching online, uh, there at first your thought your thought is well, it's only online. I want to do like a certain number of hours on uh, on Zoom or something like that, and it should be fine. But overall, uh, I think I'm spending upwards of more than ten hours, which is the allotment that they have for one class. Um, Why so, do you think that is? 
Um, people uh, sending in information at different times. Mm -hmm. um, people are also uh, asking questions at different times as well. Um, and also uh, some of it's about uh, listening to recordings, listening mm -hmm. to uh, uh, messages that the kids might send in, or even making sure that when you do a video uh, to present it to some of the students, and if it's not at the same time that you're actively with uh, the students, so it's synchronous, um, then it makes it uh, so that you might do two or three or four takes. It's just the time and editing and everything else to make sure that you can do it well. With That's a lot of work. Again, it can be uh, wearing and mm -hmm. it can also, uh, there's a certain level of fatigue that comes along with it. Too. Mm -hmm. uh, something we haven't really talked about. Uh, I don't know if we talked about it too much. We did last time. But uh, Zoom fatigue that can come across uh, because there's a lag in terms of being able to present um, facial expressions, being able to give feedback right then and there. And if there's differences in technological speeds uh, at home versus at the school, then that can also pose uh, kind of lag time, which then would make it more difficult for the teachers to really engage with the kids and the mm -hmm. kids to engage with the teachers. Yeah, well, and then students or even teachers who may not understand all of Zoom's capabilities. Right. So then you have those issues too, because you hop onto a Zoom meeting or whatever it might be, whatever the platform is, mm -hmm. and you might spend the first 20, 30 minutes of class figuring out how to get everybody set up. Right. So then everybody's already exhausted. <laughs> well, exactly. And, but at the same time, I think that's why it's good to be really familiar with the platform that you're going to mm -hmm. use, uh, to test out the dings and bugs and whistles and everything mm -hmm. like that, so that then uh, any kind of problems that were done, you've already worked out. That yeah. way it's gonna be less lag time. So I think doing that, a lot of prep work beforehand mm -hmm. and getting trained up, attending video webinars, whatever, to be able to make sure that you can engage with the kids, that'd probably be the best thing so that you can work out the kinks and mm -hmm. bugs. So whenever you talk about engaging with students, my mind immediately goes to students with like learning disabilities or maybe they have an IEP right. and how can teachers learn how to better navigate what's going to happen in this coming school year for students with like IEPs or learning disabilities or maybe they have ADD and they just can't sit still. Yeah. yeah. Like they might be stuck in one classroom all day long now. That's <laughs> yes. going to be really difficult for a lot of reasons. Yeah. And kids need movement. Mm -hmm. um, really, uh, even if they're, I, I would like to see that even if kids are um, stuck in the room uh, all day, mm -hmm. to be able to have some movement exercises, get out of the classroom, just mm -hmm. to go outside, uh, give some six feet of space from yes. everybody else, but also so they can jump up and down, do some engagement activities mm -hmm. uh, where they can still uh, practice the physical distancing mm -hmm. if they want to, but also just to get those wiggles out. Kids who have ADHD, they need movement. Mm -hmm. That's part of why they fidget. Uh, research has indicated when they fidget, it's partially to increase their concentration and attention. And so it's actually a, a coping strategy with that. Um, with the other kids that have learning disabilities and other things, uh, that will be a challenge, especially if you're in the same classroom. However, if the kids are online, some kids are doing better online because oh, they really? have they have a screen in front of them. Mm -hmm. They have something that they've been used to mm -hmm. having as a screen. Some kids are finding it absolutely boring. They're engaging in other games at the same time mm -hmm. that they're doing the school activity. But some kids are actually flourishing in that kind of environment. And so some parents are like, yeah, I think that's the way I want to go with these kiddos. Uh, and then some of them are not, they're floundering. Uh, so the best thing, I know I haven't answered the question. Uh, 
I don't know if there's really a best thing for any one student. Mm -hmm. I think it's more important to look at a process, process where you would be able to make changes quickly, uh, maybe week by week, mm -hmm. but having setting out for yourself, maybe, um, a process of evaluation, like mm -hmm. how, how much engagement am I having with the kids and then identify what you mean by engagement. It, it might be uh, the kids that are on the screen are looking at me at 75% of the time, which is difficult to count the marks and yes. everything like that, but still just kind of see, okay, mm -hmm. most of the times the kids are engaging and it's because I was engaging in this activity. And then the next week you might be like, well, that activity didn't work as well as I mm -hmm. thought it was, so switch it up. Whenever educators create a lesson plan for the whole year, they're not going to be able to do that this year. Right. They're going to have to do it week by week and then be able to navigate those waters, which is going to be a little bit more difficult, mm -hmm. but I think they're going to get a better understanding of what their students really truly need. Exactly. And I, you know, those lesson plans, a lot of times they like to think about it week by week in mm -hmm. terms of toward the end of the year, but it might be more important to look at it from a global or general perspective. Mm -hmm. Like these are generally the principles of math, these are generally the principles of English that mm -hmm. I would like to be able to address. And then focus on that part week by week. Mm -hmm. And then if, as you're finding that kids are having different difficulties with engagement or difficulties understanding, mm -hmm. to go back to it yeah. uh, again and again. To continue again. to focus on that. Because another question that I had is, what happens whenever students do fall behind or they're still behind from last year, whenever mm -hmm. we did that week by week because we were just trying to get to summer? Right. Do you meet them where they're at, or do you try to speed them up to just check a check a box? Um, I was recently talking to a, a, a student, and they were saying I can get my homework done in about fifteen minutes, mm -hmm. um, which was frustrating for that student because they didn't feel as they didn't feel as challenged, mm -hmm. uh, and so they uh, wanted to be engaged more. Um, but the student also recognized that. Uh, the teacher had to go to the lowest common denominator in terms of what uh, most of the students were able to uh, take in at that moment. That is a difficulty that I imagine many of the teachers already have, mm -hmm. even when they're not yeah, Even before COVID. Even before COVID. And so uh, that's something that they, uh, that I think parents, uh, teachers are already struggling with. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't think it's anything new. Um, the platform is new. The platform for engagement is new. They're not in person. They don't have physical proximity to be able to encourage attention in different ways. And so uh, I don't know if it's anything. Yeah, I don't know if mm -hmm. it's anything new, um, but it's still a challenge. So them. a question that I had, too, for that is how can those teachers encourage those students or mm -hmm. even those students that are falling behind? Maybe they're anxious or depressed or angry because they're not that student that can get their homework done in 15 minutes and they're really struggling. Yeah. Um, I would love to see it if uh, we had, we already have paraprofessionals. Mm -hmm. We already have teacher's aides. Um, maybe you, the idea would be to have some teacher's aides or paraprofessionals that are particularly supposed to engage with those students, which they already have, mm -hmm. um, but in different ways. So if one child is at home and doing more of the uh, plug-in to the classroom, maybe that person might uh, take them on a one-on-one -on -one kind of uh, meeting that mm -hmm. they kind of work on some of those uh, skill sets and those difficulties. So it's really just online tutoring. Uh, and uh, I think we already have structures in place that we are. Yeah, that's not that. something new. Right. And so I think just the platform would have to change in terms of being able to identify those needs. 
and uh, to be able to identify them so that uh, they can be able to meet those kids' needs. So it would be have to be someone that could do it in the home, I mean, in the school, and also online. Do you think we would have the capability to do that at home, or do you think that's kind of a, a no-go with COVID-19 if somebody wanted to have tutoring in the home? No, I think it's possible. Mm -hmm. um, again, with that, it would be that you make sure you screen yourself mm -hmm. as, a, as a paraprofessional and as a student. Uh, make sure that uh, if you're going inside the home that you're maintaining social distance, uh, uh, physical distance. And even, uh, even now, um, it would be important to, if they have to get in even more closer proximity, making sure they wear masks and just make that the standard of the norm for them to be able to no, hey, I'm gonna wear a mask. Do you have a mask in your home that I can wear when I come over? And that way it would decrease the likelihood of any kind of spread. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that should start to become common language and common jargon in our everyday vocabulary. Mm -hmm. The idea of wearing masks and talking about masks. Exactly. Yeah, and the more we talk about it in terms of not like hounding people about mm -hmm. it. The less but, it becomes taboo. Uh, yeah, uh, it does. And so the, we want to increase normative functions. And so, um, have teacher having the mask ready for them to wear mm -hmm. um, or the student ready to have it so yeah and whip it out and put it on and it's super cool right right you want to have it cool <laughs> <laughs> which is going to bring up another issue too and we talked about this right before the podcast right. started yeah you're going to have some really young kids that want to switch masks uh -huh. because they're super cool and super fun how are teachers going to be able to navigate that? Because they they may not even know. And then at the end of the day, they hear these, you know, five or six year olds talking, hey, let's switch our masks back. Or tomorrow you bring this one and I'll let you have my other one. How are we going to handle that? I think if you set up uh, uh, classroom rules, mm -hmm. like they, most teachers do at the very yeah. beginning, just address those classroom rules mm -hmm. and go through them every once in a while. Uh, not that you have to point anybody out. I saw, yeah, I saw Billy they'll know. Do that, right? yeah. <laughs> but just that, Overall, this is the classroom structure we're going to have. This is, um, these are the expectations that we have in the classroom. Uh, and just having those kind of fun mm -hmm. educational things where they can make a game out of it, show everyone their masks, but also say, mm -hmm. where did you get that from? Oh, that's mm -hmm. cool. That way people can say, oh, you got it from Target. Or yeah, they could do journal entries. They could do drawings. Yeah. I love the idea of gamifying masks. Yeah. I think that's a great idea. And that way you can norm it, but also we can also set those expectations. Mm -hmm. Don't touch other people's masks. Mm -hmm. Keep it to yourself. <laughs> yeah, every day they wear a mask, they get a sticker. Right. At the end of the week, maybe they get a little snack party. Right. Socially distanced, of course. Right, yeah. <laughs> but still, yes. being able to do that, those things, to kind of make it fun. Mm -hmm. And the more make, uh, the more you kind of make it fun for younger kids, the better. I, can, I know it's going to be difficult for kids that are in like preschool or kindergarten mm -hmm. um, to be able to wear the mask because they fidget, they move it, they... Pull it underneath the their first nose thing they want to do like is that. touch their face. Exactly, exactly. Um, and so sometimes uh, just practicing wearing mm -hmm. a mask, practicing even the teachers say, "Okay, guys, what do we do when we have when we want to touch your face?" Yeah. And have have kids practice. Have kids. Mm -hmm. Okay, if you want to touch your face, let's grab a tissue mm -hmm. or a napkin to real quick just touch your face, scratch it, yes. whatever, throw it away immediately. You know, I haven't looked this up, but I'm surprised there's not a song yet. A children's song about masking. Right. I wonder if there we is. We should have looked this up before this podcast. I know. Maybe maybe we should look it up and then include it in part yes, of social show absolutely. Like that. That's a great idea. <laughs> so something else with younger children is a lot of times they may not always know how to tie their shoes or they may get upset and you know, they may cry, there may be some waterworks. If we're socially distancing, how do we even help them as educators? 
that's a hard one um and at the same time an easy one uh mm -hmm. one we want to make sure we have that physical distance uh so that we can uh, reduce spread uh two children need to be comforted we want to find different ways in which we can comfort uh touch is some of the best ways to comfort mm -hmm. a kid appropriate touching mm -hmm. hugging uh you know by the side or something like that uh or even on the shoulder. But the important thing to do is that if you're trying to console a kid to immediately wash your hands, make it a game with the kid. <laughs> you know, if you happen to have touched the kid's shoulder to comfort them a little bit, and you're saying, hey, Johnny, it's okay. Jill, you mm -hmm. know, you're gonna get through this. And then here, I got my little hand sanitizer. Let's wash our hands real yeah. quick. <sighs> Doesn't that feel so much better? Let's, let's wash the warrior That makes away. me feel better just hearing it. Right. <laughs> So we can even use, if we wanted to, you can use the uh, um, sanitizer as mm -hmm. an emblem of, uh, of renewal, mm -hmm. of uh, making things better. And so we, uh, just like the mommy's little kiss, that mm -hmm. to little boo-boos and stuff like that, we can also do that with emotional problems that the kids are currently having and just comfort them physically. And then, you know, at the same time, immediately say, let's wash that worry away. And if it's come back, that's okay. We can use sanita hand sanitizer to symbolically Say, it's okay, I can make it through this. So increase, re re increase resilience. That's a great idea. I also think they're probably gonna go through a lot of hand sanitizer, especially right. the younger kids. Yes, yes. <laughs> if they don't, I think there's gonna be a problem. <laughs> sure. Yo, absolutely. So another big concern weighing right now on the families of educators and healthcare professionals that have already gone through this is, am I gonna have to choose between my job and my family? And healthcare professionals, whenever they go into these fields, they already know that they're gonna be exposed to viruses, diseases, these types of things. Whenever COVID-19 hit, I don't think educators necessarily were prepared for that. Right. Because as educators, they're not trained like healthcare professionals are. Mm -hmm. And so now they're they're having to face this question of, am I gonna to have to choose between my job and my family? And how do you answer that question? That's a good question. Uh, I thought it comes to my mind that it would be nice if we engaged in maybe psychological first aid, mm -hmm. uh, uh, where, uh, community partners like Phelps Health, mm -hmm. Compass Health, other ones come in and uh, provide some kind of uh, lunch and bag mm -hmm. uh, webinar or even just um, educational thing of how to handle the stressors that come up with uh, oh, whether or not you're gonna be exposed, whether or not you're gonna have to bring it home to your family or whatever. Um, and so I think we as a community can mm -hmm. do something to help support um, the educators who are now frontline workers when they go back to school because they will be on the front lines helping meet those kids' needs. Yeah, and it's going to be really scary because they may even have kids. And you know this, you have kids who are in school too. Right. So it's, yeah. do you strip down completely before you get home and everybody has all their clothes on the porch and then you walk in and hose off? It might, it might be <laughs> pajama time as soon as you come yes, home or absolutely, something like that. Which is a great way to spin that. But right. a lot of educators don't don't know to do that yet. Mm -hmm. So I think it's important that we learn how to educate each other, like you said, as a community. Yeah. To know that, you know, we're all here for each other. If you have questions, if you need support, feel free to reach out. Don't feel like you're alone. Yeah. A lot of people have gone through this and have been going through this since early March. I think, if anything, what you have uh, hinted at is if we set up a routine mm -hmm. uh, and even set up a routine within our homes, um, then we can say, oh, before you give mommy a hug, let me get in the shower real quick, or if that's what they choose to do, or if they are, they get changed in the garage before they come in, 
Um, but then they're like, hey, that's just what mommy does. And keep it light. Mm -hmm. the, the lighter you can keep it for yourself and for your family and stuff like that, the easier. I, I was thinking about this as we were preparing for this. Um, at one time, seatbelts were not required. Mm-hmm. And now we have reminders all over the place uh, when we're driving down 44. And we or don't even think about it, do And we? we have little dings on our, on, our, on our car that basically has indicators. Buckle your seatbelt. And we don't think about it. We just put it on. But at one time, people were really upset because it's like, how dare you take away my rights? Or uh, you're using fear-mongering or whatever. And that's the same issue we're facing now. Exactly. So what do you think the term was with seatbelt? Was it just hearing it enough times? I think so. Hearing it enough times until it became normal. Mm -hmm. And now it's a, a expectation that we wear seatbelts. And it's going to kind of be the same thing now. Yeah. And so I think the same regard if we treat it like this is what our normal is, not the new normal, because normal changes all the time. Mm -hmm. Just treat it as this is what we have to do right now. And that's fine. I can still live. People are more resilient than they give themselves credit for. Mm -hmm. We often uh, underappreciate how much uh, coping strategies we have, and we kind of put more stress on what could potentially happen that doesn't end up causing problems for us. Absolutely. So we talk about there's a, a lot of guilt with, do I give up my job? Do I keep teaching? But there's also a lot of guilt with, I want to ask a lot of questions. And I feel really bad because I want to keep teaching, but I have a lot of concerns about going back to school. Right. Is it okay to ask questions right now? Is it okay to feel concerned? I think so. It should be absolutely okay to uh, express concern and then also to be able to uh, ask questions. I think the more questions you can ask mm -hmm. as a way to kind of help yourself get more comfortable, mm -hmm. and that's fine. Some people might be worried that if you're asking questions that it shows that you have a lack of confidence in other yes. people uh, or confidence in the structure. Mm -hmm. But that's how our government was created was asking questions yeah that's how, that's how uh that's how a lot of initiatives are created because we ask questions how can we do better to meet the needs of the population that we're serving and whenever we ask questions it also makes me think about the importance of structure and goal setting and how important is that going to be going into 2020 for educators as a whole i think it's very important uh, i think again the emphasis is more about uh, not necessarily the goals mm -hmm. but the process of making goals and the process of keeping to those goals and the process of evaluating whether or not they're meeting their goals. Mm -hmm. um, and so if we, if they emphasize more the uh, habit of going through that process, then I think overall people will feel uh, more settled because then at, the, at that point, it doesn't matter what goal it is. It matters that you're engaging in that process. And I think it, you hit on something really important is that we're going to settle into this. Right. We're, we're going to get comfortable. It's going to be an ongoing issue. Mm -hmm. And, I want to give you an opportunity right now to talk to our listeners about anything very specific to educators with COVID-19 going into the school year before we wrap up. Yeah. Um, I think it's, it's going to be challenging. Uh, I think though, trust yourself, trust what kind of worries that you might have, ask questions, um, seek opportunities to get information from other people um, and seek to take care of yourself. Find times, to be able to take a break for yourself, whether or not it's in your own closet at home, whether or not it's in the closet in the, in the classroom, but take the time to be able to, to take a break. Uh, I'm a big fan of mindfulness, so if there's any way in which you might be able to incorporate mindfulness 
quiet moments at the beginning of class to kind of help kids refocus. I think that then you'll be able to settle yourself, settle the other kids, and you'll be able to uh, model for the kids appropriate ways to be able to manage tough emotions and uh, be able to live a healthy life. Great advice, Dr. Rackham. Thanks so much for listening to The Scope. If you liked our show and would like to know more, check out puffshealth.org. Thanks so much.